I'm Hillary McClure, podcast host at Cybercrime Magazine. Welcome to Talking Cyber, a Cybercrime Radio segment where we discuss the latest news and breaking stories of the cyber economy, hackers, intrusions, privacy, security, and much more. Sponsored by SimCore. SimCore develops innovative, next-generation file integrity monitoring software. The SimTrack Integrity Suite monitors and protects a wide range of physical, network, cloud, and virtual IT assets in real time, while providing detailed forensic information about all changes. Securing your infrastructure with SimTrack helps you get compliant and stay that way. You can find out more about SimCore and SimTrack on the web at simcore.com SimTrack. Joining us today is Heather Engel, Managing Partner of Strategic Cyber Partners. Heather, welcome. Hi, Hillary. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on and joining us. So, Heather, Silicon Angle recently published an article titled Toyota Hacked Again, but this time it was a security researcher with no ill intent. The security researcher mentioned Eaton Zvir gained access to Toyota's global supplier preparation information management system back in October going on to claim that any user could be logged in by just knowing an employee's email address, completely bypassing corporate login flows. So he entered the system through a back door and, and he gained access to the information of more than 14,000 users, including confidential documents, projects, supplier information, and other internal data. So Heather, with all of that for context, can you tell us more about this story as well as elaborating on any types of data that were accessed? This was a really fascinating account of how application development features can work and how they can be abused. And I do want to say, you know, this wasn't a case of the researcher just going to a website, putting in an email and automatically gaining access to the system. There were some things that had to happen you know, on the back end, and we'll talk a little bit about this. When you log into an application or a website, this generates what's called a token. And you can think of this as your access key. So you carry it around as you move through the site. It shows different aspects of the site that you're an authenticated user. So in this case, he was able to tweak the code in the application using only an email and no password. The code was written to generate that token using just the user's email. So by viewing the source code for the application and then composing the authentication request a certain way, the application logon was bypassed. So like I said, that doesn't mean that Toyota doesn't require passwords. In fact, they very likely have multi-factor authentication and lots of other features implemented. But for this specific case, that was able to be bypassed. One of the things mentioned in the article is the user impersonation act as feature. And, you know, this sounds initially like something, well, why would you ever want that? Why would you want to allow a user impersonation feature? This is something that can be useful when you're troubleshooting an issue that a user has reported. So if I'm a systems administrator and a user reports a problem, I may want to be able to work as that user so that I can try to duplicate the problem and then troubleshoot it. So in this case, once the researcher had escalated privileges in the system to system administrator, he was able to act as any user in the system and see what projects they were working on. Um, he was able to look at related tasks and information. He was also able to change roles and give users some elevated privileges, take things away. It was a really fascinating write-up and very clearly written, very well done. The information that 
you know, he was able to see included all of the users, their roles in the company, the management structure, as well as data on nearly 3,000 suppliers. And some of these suppliers were other really big name companies that you would recognize. And it had information on their rankings, you know, what risk that supplier posed, their delivery and their preparation grades. So very sensitive information in this system. Certainly. Thanks for providing that overview for us. And I think those details are really helpful. So I guess with that, Toyota has been experiencing fairly regular security breaches, as the article mentioned, which I, I agree it was very well done. SiliconANGLE is usually very well done. But Heather, can you tell us a little bit more about the history here and these regular <laughs> security breaches that Toyota is unfortunately experiencing and why these incidents keep happening? Yeah, the article mentioned several incidents, and the common denominator of all the incidents mentioned in this specific article in SiliconANGLE is the supply chain. A supplier breach spilled over into Toyota's data and systems, resulting in downtime in one of the breaches, data loss in another. But this is something that we see happen more and more, and it will continue to happen. Supply chain efficiency and just-in-time production models like manufacturing firms, like companies like Toyota are going to use, require real-time collaboration for efficiency. And that means that every company in that ecosystem has the ability to negatively impact others. And so I need my suppliers to be able to access specific information so that they can provide the supplies right? That's the whole point of systems like this so that we're managing things in an appropriate and an efficient way. But what that means is when I'm giving suppliers access to things, I also want to make sure that my supplier is secure because if their systems aren't secure, there's a chance that a breach of their system could spill over and impact my systems. And that's really the point that the article makes here that Toyota has been experiencing. And so based on this breach and the the others that the article references, Heather, what do you think Toyota needs to do to harden their data security? I'm sure that's a big question and a big ask, but <laughs> yeah. if you could, you know, however you want to approach it, uh, I, I turn it over to you. I've never worked specifically with Toyota, so we'll we'll talk more in, in some generalities, right? And I think let's first talk about what could have happened if it had been an attacker versus a researcher that had discovered this flaw. So an attacker could have added their own user account with an elevated role to retain access. We see that a lot. If you break into a system, you want to be able to make sure that you can get back in should your attack be discovered. Obviously, all of this data could have been downloaded and leaked. You know, the system could have been held hostage, you know, to not release that data. They could have deleted everything that was in there or modified the data to really disrupt Toyota's global operations, which, you know, we've seen that just a little bit with supply chain disruptions over the last few years, what a big impact even very small suppliers in the supply chain can have. You know, we've seen that with cars where there was a specific microchip that wasn't available. So there were a whole bunch of cars that were just stopped on a production line. You know, the other thing that I think is important here is there's a lot of information on system users that could be used to target really specific phishing campaigns. And we've started to see a big, big improvement in phishing campaigns over the last couple of years. It used to be something that 
we made fun of, right? Because the grammar was off or the punctuation was off or they weren't written very well. They were easy to identify. But we've started to see over the last several months and years that phishing emails are getting a lot better and it's getting harder to detect them. And so it's one thing to have a whole bunch of emails, but it's another to have all of these emails and know exactly what those people are working on, what their roles in the company are. And if there was a supplier that was in this system that was reusing passwords, it's possible that in this case, the supply chain could have worked in reverse, right? We talked earlier about how some of Toyota's recent issues have been caused by the supply chain. In this case, an issue in Toyota's system could have contributed to issues in a supplier system. So as far as what needs to happen to harden data security, we know that there will always be flaws in code and there will always be people trying to exploit those flaws. The key for any organization is being able to rapidly detect when an attack is in progress. And so we're looking for anomalies in the system, understanding how users are moving through the system. You know, and one of the things that struck me is this researcher was in here moving around and and being careful not to make changes to the system to impact it, but testing things out and just probing a little bit. It's possible that there could be some additional things that Toyota could put in place maybe to identify if a system is being probed like that, particularly for a system that is considered critical. So that goes back to, you know, another pretty standard risk management practice, which is what systems are your most critical systems? And let's devote the resources to really managing and monitoring those systems versus other systems that may be less critical. So again, basic risk management tenants, which you and I talk about a lot on this show. That we do. So at the unfortunate expense of Toyota, what are the additional lessons that other organizations and security leaders should take into consideration? Yeah, in this case, I think Toyota did a lot of things right. And when you read the researchers published account of this, that was in addition to the Silicon Valley article or the Silicon Angle article, they did a lot of things right. They responded very rapidly when the issue was reported. They had a specific amount of time, you know, typically in the bug bounty community, there's a specific amount of time that researchers will wait to publish findings like this. And it's typically 90 days. And in this case, Toyota had fixed the vulnerability far before that. So they were very rapid in their response. One of the things that I thought was interesting, again, from the researcher's own account of this is he talked about how this was a lot of work and he basically gets a thank you and a pat on the back, you know, if that. So one of the things that I think other organizations and security leaders should take into consideration is what does your bug bounty program look like? You want researchers and people who have your best interests in mind to find these flaws rather than an attacker. We already talked about some of what could have happened. And this researcher said at the end of his case study that he probably wouldn't do this again for companies like Toyota that don't have a bug bounty program because it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. He saved them potentially millions and millions of dollars in what could have been a disastrous security breach and didn't get anything for that. So if you have a system like this or you have applications like this, larger companies, it's certainly worth considering maintaining a bug bounty program so that when researchers find and report things that are in your best interest, they get something for it. Couldn't agree more. Well, 
Heather, with all of that, is there anything else that you'd like to add? I know you've already contributed so much, but I always like to ask that question. Yeah, I think this is something that we reference a lot on this show is developing code is really an art form. And there are always going to be ways around your security infrastructure. And it's just a question of who's going to find it first. And in this case, Toyota was very fortunate that it was a researcher who gave them the opportunity to respond. They responded appropriately. And so it turned out to be almost a non-issue, but that's not always going to be the case. And I think that's something that all companies, big companies, small companies need to remember, as well as looking at and understanding the impact that your suppliers and your supply chain and the access that they have to your systems and the access that you have to theirs, you're all part of this one big ecosystem where everything you do impacts everyone else. And so really taking the time to understand that, I think, is an important takeaway lesson from this article. Well said as always. Well, Heather, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. It was lovely speaking with you and I look forward to next time. You too. Thanks again, Hillary. I'm Hillary McClure, podcast host at Cybercrime Magazine. Talking Cyber is a cybercrime radio segment that discusses the latest news and breaking stories of the cyber economy, hackers, intrusions, privacy, security, and much more. Sponsored by Simcor Inc. Simcor develops innovative next-generation file integrity monitoring software. The SimTrack Integrity Suite monitors and protects a wide range of physical, network, cloud, and virtual IT assets in real time while providing detailed forensic information about all changes. Securing your infrastructure with SimTrack helps you get compliant and stay that way. You can find out more about SimCore and SimTrack on the web at simcore.com SimTrack. And to hear our other podcasts and to watch our videos, visit us at cybercrimemagazine.com.